If you uh, were a Christian college student in the 2000s, the name Rob Bell might be familiar to you. Bell was an author, a speaker, and a pastor who led a, a megachurch in Michigan. Under his leadership, that church was the fastest growing congregation in the country. I had his books on my shelf. I have used his NUMA curriculum for both my personal edification and to teach theological concepts to young people. Uh, he was an icon of pop Christianity. In fact, in 2011, he was named to Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people. But I guess that a lot of the folks in this room have no idea who I'm talking about. And I think that that's because in the same year that he made Times 100, Bell announced his newest publication. It was called Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. In the promotional video and a sample chapter that was released as a part of the announcement, Bell asked the question, how do we know what someone's afterlife will be? He suggested that Gandhi wasn't in hell, and really he didn't so much suggest it as he questioned someone that was certain that Gandhi was. The response was immediate and cutting. Bell was branded as a heretic by the circles he had been shaped by, had moved in, and had led for his entire career. The discourse around Bell's upcoming book was so intense that the national news media picked it up publishing op-ed pieces that called Bell's teaching false doctrine. Another popular Christian writer posted to Twitter, which was then shared on CNN. He said, it's not preaching the gospel as found in the New Testament. The New Testament is pretty clear if someone preaches a false gospel that we are to reject and have nothing to do with them. Perhaps unsurprisingly, by the end of that year, Rob Bell had resigned from his church and left ministry in the traditional sense for good. Now, as you all know, I am a level-headed, fair person who constantly endeavors to see both sides of any argument. So I, I want to take seriously the argument that Rob Bell was promoting a theology that flies in the face of our biblical teaching, that he was preaching a false doctrine, if you will, and lucky for us, I think our passage from Romans 8 can offer us some insight. It doesn't come right out and say anything about our afterlife, but it certainly has thoughts on God's goodness and plan. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those God foreknew, God also predestined. Those who were predestined, God called, justified, and glorified. That's all, folks. You've got to love God. Now, Romans doesn't tell us how we're supposed to love God, but I'm sure we can figure that out without any sort of argument or disagreement, right? So if you love God, hopefully you get that sweet predestined power called justified and glorified, which I'm pretty sure means we get to go to heaven, which is awesome. And I mean, if nothing else, loving God means that everything works out the way that I want it to, right? So is it any wonder, then, that for centuries the church has believed that God's ultimate favor rested more with some people than with others? Is the rise and popularity of things like the prosperity gospel so surprising? The history of Christianity is littered with an us-versus-them mentality, an understanding that my way of loving God, of following Jesus, is right, correct, better. 
In fact, the history of the world is rife with behavior and policies and atrocities tied directly to the belief that God is for us. I'm going to conquer this place and civilize it, civilize its native inhabitants because God is on our side. They should be thankful because God could be for them too if only they were faithful like me. Or join my cause, follow me into battle, give up your life because God is on our side. We are definitely going to win. The doctrines of predestination and salvation requirements have pervaded our catechism and history. And the familiar words of our Roman passage lend themselves almost seamlessly to those beliefs. So I suppose it's not shocking that Rob Bell's more expansive understanding of God and salvation were met with hostility. I mean, the people from Bell's own circle called him a heretic, but the stuff in Romans 8, it it says that, right? I don't want to blame them. I don't want to call them petty. I do, but I'm not sure that's fair. For one thing, as we've seen already, it doesn't take a lot of mental gymnastics to get there. Even within these few verses of Romans 8, it's easy to craft a theology that suggests only a certain section of humanity are going to reap the ultimate benefit of God's love. And what's more, I think that's really incredibly human. Of course we want rules and qualifiers and checklists. We need to believe that if we do the work, if we follow the rules, if we do the right thing, we will be rewarded. I was a good person my whole life. I came to worship every week. I tithed. I didn't curse at drivers on 85. God has to bring good things into my life, right? I deserve it. At least I'm getting more good than the person on 85 who cut me off and flipped the bird who I didn't curse at. They don't deserve it, right? Romans 8 can feed into this narrative that there are those who deserve goodness, deserve God's love, and those who don't. And that is what Christianity can be about, right? We've seen people make it about that, making sure that I get what I deserve and that those people get what they deserve. I'd like to believe that humans don't operate that way, that we don't think of good or bad things coming to us based on what we deserve, but I think we all know that that isn't the case. We've recently seen the timeless, uh, fairly flawed argument against affirmative action in the news, right? That no one should get a job or college admission because of their race. They'll get a spot if they deserve it. I know I'm not the only one who laughed at jokes about the Ocean Gate submarine incident. I'm not the only one who thought that that that's what those billionaires deserve for doing something so reckless. We have to believe that good happens to good people and bad happens to bad people. And we do the same thing with the love of God. We have to believe that God is for us. And if God is for us, God can't be for the people who don't look, act, believe like us. Earlier this month, Pat Robertson of the 700 Club fame passed away. And Robertson has been a mainstay of evangelical Christian culture for decades. I'm sure right now if you closed your eyes, you could picture his grandfatherly face, eyes shut and smiling, as he closes out a broadcast in prayer. Pat Robertson also espoused some deeply problematic beliefs. 
He suggested that uh, Hurricane Katrina, the devastating storm that killed almost 1,400 people, was God's response to America's policy on abortion. He called Hinduism and Islam demonic. Um, Robertson was no friend to women or to queer people, and that's too mild, right? Pat Robertson blamed the terrorist attack on September 11th on pagans, feminists, gays, and lesbians. There are gay people in this church who can point to Pat Robertson's public beliefs as the root of their treatment in church and society. So when Robertson dies, there was a bit of a ding-dong, the witch is dead attitude happening in the corners of the internet in which I often find myself. Many people were not that upset that Robertson was dead, and many people wanted to be sure that his legacy was not celebrated. And I can't say I blame them. This is not a judgment on that feeling. If someone had consistently and publicly equated my existence with evil and used national tragedies as a way to further otherize me, I certainly wouldn't be bothered that they weren't around anymore. Some of the sentiments that were circulating were something to the effect of, imagine dying after a lifetime of promoting bigotry in the name of the Lord, only to discover you ended up in hell. And again, I don't blame them. Pat Robertson did harm. He did harm in a big public way. So doesn't he deserve to be punished? And even if he's not going to be punished, he certainly doesn't deserve the goodness and the love that other people do, the love that the queer people he otherwise deserve, the love that the women that he put down deserve, the ones with open arms and open hearts, the ones who loved God the right way. Amid all of these responses, Presbyterian pastor, author, and activist Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis tweeted this, Few people did more than Pat Robertson to make Christianity synonymous with bigotry and hostility. And I still believe all people at death are welcomed into God's fierce love. I will not let hatred make me hate. Do we excuse or soften the bad things that Pat Robertson did with his life? No, absolutely not. But are we in the position to take away the love and promise of his creator? No. No, we are not. I think that Romans 8 asks us to confront the kind of God that we believe in. Can I claim that God loves me unconditionally, that God is working for good in my life, and that God is for me in such a way that nothing can separate me from God? and then also claim that God does not offer that exact same thing to everyone else. If God gives me all of that but withholds it from someone else, how good could that God really be? Or ought we believe that if God loves me, loves us that way, offers us goodness and hope that God offers it to everyone else, whether we like it or not? Believing in a God that loves me unconditionally must inherently mean that I believe in a God that loves all people unconditionally, and there is nothing that can separate any of us from the love of God. And that's hard. It's hard to believe that God loves me as much as God loves someone that I find difficult or someone who hurt me or someone who has hurt others. I don't want God to give goodness and love to the ones who cause pain, who aren't as good as I am. But the moment I try to control God's love, 
ultimately trying to control God is the moment that God's love ceases to be unconditional. God's love is so expansive, so unconditional, so uncontrollable that it scares the hell out of us. I mean, it scares the hell out of me. So, of course, we try to put it in a box to narrow the parameters of who can receive it. But that great, all-consuming love has been right there in Romans 8 all along. For one thing, note all of the plural pronouns, right? Who will separate us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And verse 32, he who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us. The focus is not on an individual's walk of faith or struggles in prayer, but God's redemption of God's people and all of creation with them. In Romans 8, God is the subject. God actively accomplishes the redemption of all things in creation. Paul's focus is on the work of God, which means that it's not ours to decide. We don't get to declare who is a recipient and who is not. God's plan is and has always been the redemption of creation when we will be restored into the image of God in which we are called into being and meant to live. So since the love is God's to give, then I want God to give it to everyone in equal measure. I don't want to have to deserve it because I know that I never will. I want to leave out the world's standards and the world's judgment I would rather be confident in God's love for both me and Pat Robertson than try to figure out who should and will receive it. And if I can surrender to the reality that God's love is well outside my control or understanding, then maybe heaven or hell don't matter. Maybe checking off the arbitrary good Christian boxes don't matter. Maybe the endless theological debates about who is elect and who is not can stop. Maybe all that matters is God's love, the love that cannot be taken from us by death or life or angels or rulers or powers or anything else in all creation. That love is ours, and if it can't be taken from me, then it cannot be taken from you. That means that when the Supreme Court makes decisions that dehumanize you, God's love is yours. When you are in the middle of unfathomable, inescapable grief, God's love is yours. When your heart is closed and you use your platform for hate and division, God's love is still yours. God's love covers us all. Emma Neischloss, Katie Amon, Rob Bell, Mahatma Gandhi, Pat Robertson, Jackie Lewis, school teachers, Supreme Court justices, white nationalists, black activists, Republicans, Democrats, the ultra-rich, the painfully poor, police officers, prisoners, Presbyterians, Southern Baptists. If God loves one, then God loves all. So, my friends, in which God will you believe? How expansive is your God's love? I hope that even when it is hard and scary and impossible to fathom, that you will believe in a God whose love never stops growing. And when you claim that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, may you also hear the call built into those words. 
Because if nothing can separate us from God's love, then nothing can separate us from the call to share it with everyone. May we not withhold that which will never be withheld from us. May we open our hearts and let God's unconditional, unchangeable love pour forth. Amen.